The Symbolism of the Tarot by P.D. Ospensky Read by Graham Dunlop Edited by Darren Grimes What is the Tarot? No study of occult philosophy is possible without an acquaintance with symbolism. For if the words occultism and symbolism are correctly used, they mean almost one and the same thing. Symbolism cannot be learned as one learns to build bridges or speak a foreign language, and for the interpretation of symbols a special cast of mind is necessary. In addition to knowledge, special faculties, the power of creative thought and a developed imagination are required. One who understands the use of symbolism in the arts knows, in a general way, what is meant by occult symbolism. But even then, a special training of the mind is necessary in order to comprehend the language of the initiates and to express in this language the intuitions as they arise. There are many methods for developing the sense of symbols in those who are striving to understand the hidden forces of nature and man and for teaching the fundamental principles as well as the elements of the esoteric language. The most synthetic and one of the most interesting of these methods is the tarot. In its exterior form, the tarot was a pack of cards used in the south of Europe for games and fortune-telling. These cards were first known in Europe at the end of the 14th century, when they were in use among the Spanish gypsies. A pack of tarot contains the 52 ordinary playing cards, with the addition of one picture card to every suit, namely the knight, placed between the queen and the knave. These 56 cards are divided into four suits, two black and two red, and have the following designation. Scepters, clubs, cups, hearts, swords, spades, and pentacles or discs, diamonds. In addition to the 56 cards, the pack of tarot has 22 numbered cards with special names. One, the magician. Two, the high priestess. Three, the empress. Four, the emperor. Five, the chariot. 6. The Lovers, 7. The Hierophant, 8. Strength, 9. The Hermit, 10. The Wheel of Fortune, 11. Justice, 12. The Hanged Man, 13. Death, 14. Temperance, 15. The Devil, 16. The Tower, 17. The Star, 18. The Moon, 19. The Sun, 20. Judgment, 21. The World, and 0. The Fool. This pack of cards, in the opinion of many investigators, represents the Egyptian hieroglyphic book of 78 tablets, which came to us almost miraculously. The history of the tarot is a great puzzle. During the Middle Ages, when it first appeared historically, there existed a tendency to build up synthetic symbolical or logical systems, of the same sort as Ars Magna by Raymond Lully. But productions similar to the tarot exist in India and China, so that we cannot possibly think it one of those systems created during the Middle Ages in Europe. It is also evidently connected with the ancient mysteries and the Egyptian initiations. Although its origin is in oblivion and the aim of its author or authors quite unknown, there is no doubt whatever that it is the most complete code of hermetic symbolism we possess. Although represented as a pack of cards, the tarot really is something quite different, 
It can be read in a variety of ways. As one instance, I shall give a metaphysical interpretation of the general meaning or of the general content of the Book of Tarot. That is to say, its metaphysical title, which will plainly show that this work could not have been invented by illiterate gypsies of the 14th century. The tarot falls into three divisions. The first part has 21 numbered cards. The second part has one card, zero. The third part has 56 cards, i.e. the four suits of 14 cards. Moreover, the second part appears to be a link between the first and third parts, since all the 56 cards of the third part together are equal to the card zero. Now, if we imagine 21 cards disposed in the shape of a triangle, seven cards on each side, a point in the center of the triangle represented by the zero card and a square round the triangle, the square consisting of 56 cards, 14 on each side, we shall have a representation of the relation between God, man, and the universe, or the relation between the world of ideas, the consciousness of man, and the physical world. The triangle is God, the trinity, or the world of ideas, or the noumenal world. The point is man's soul. The square is the visible, physical, or phenomenal world. Potentially, the point is equal to the square, which means that all the visible world is contained in man's consciousness, is created in man's soul. And the soul itself is a point having no dimension in the world of spirit, symbolized by the triangle. It is clear that such an idea could not have originated with ignorant people, and clear also that the tarot is something more than a pack of playing or fortune-telling cards. H.P. Blavatsky mentions the tarot in her works, and we have some reason for believing that she studied the tarot. It is known that she loved to play patience. We do not know what she read in the cards as she played this game, but the author was told that Madame Blavatsky searched persistently and for a long time for an MSS on the tarot. In order to become acquainted with the tarot, it is necessary to understand the basic ideas of the Kabbalah and of alchemy. For it represents, as indeed many commentators of the tarot think, a summary of the hermetic sciences, the Kabbalah, alchemy, astrology, magic, with their different divisions. All these sciences, attributed to Hermes Trismegistus, really represent one system of very broad and deep psychological investigation of the nature of man and his relation to the world of noumena, God, the world of spirit, and to the world of phenomena, the visible physical world. The letters of the Hebrew alphabet and the various allegories of the Kabbalah, the names of metals, acids, and salts in alchemy, of planets and constellations in astrology, of good and evil spirits in magic, all these were only means to veil truth from the uninitiated. But when the true alchemist spoke of seeking for gold, he spoke of gold in the soul of man. And he called gold that which in the New Testament is called the kingdom of heaven, and in Buddhism, nirvana. And when the true astrologer spoke of constellations and planets, he spoke of constellations and planets in the soul of man, i.e. of the qualities of the human soul and its relations to God and to the world. And when the true Kabbalist spoke of the name of God, he sought his name in the soul of man and in nature, not in dead books nor in biblical texts, as did the Kabbalist scholastics. The Kabbalah, alchemy, astrology, magic are parallel symbolical systems of psychology and metaphysics. Any alchemical sentence may be read in a Kabbalistic or astrological way, 
but the meaning will always be psychological and metaphysical. We are surrounded by a wall built of our conceptions of the world and are unable to look over this wall at the real world. The Kabbalah presents an effort to break this enchanted circle. It investigates the world as it is, the world in itself. The world in itself, as the Kabbalists hold, consists of four elements, or the four principles forming one. These four principles are represented by the four letters of the name of Jehovah. The basic idea of the Kabbalah consists in the study of the name of God in its manifestation. Jehovah in Hebrew is spelled by four letters, Yod, He, Vau, and He, I-H-V-H. To these four letters is given the deepest symbolical meaning. The first letter expresses the active principle, the beginning or first cause, motion, energy, I. The second letter expresses the passive element, inertia, quietude, not I. The third, the balance of opposites, form, and the fourth, the result or latent energy. The Kabbalists affirm that every phenomenon and every object consists of these four principles i.e. that every object and every phenomenon consists in the name of God, the Word, Logos. The study of this name, or the four-lettered word, tetragrammaton, in Greek, and the finding of it in everything constitutes the main problem of Kabbalistic philosophy. To state it in another way, the Kabbalists hold that these four principles penetrate and create everything. Therefore, when the man finds these four principles in things and phenomena of quite different categories, where before he had not seen similarity, he begins to see analogy between these phenomena, and gradually he becomes convinced that the whole world is built according to one and the same law, on one and the same plan. The richness and growth of his intellect consists in the widening of this faculty for finding analogies. Therefore, the study of the law of the four letters, or the name of Jehovah, presents a powerful means for widening consciousness. This idea is perfectly clear, for if the name of God be really in all, if God be present in all, all should be analogous to each other, the smallest particle analogous to the whole, the speck of dust analogous to the universe, and all analogous to God. The name of God, the word or logos, is the origin of the world. Logos also means reason. The word is the logos, the reason of everything. There is a complete correspondence between the Kabbalah and alchemy and magic. In alchemy, the four elements which constitute the real world are called fire, water, air, and earth. These fully correspond in significance with the four Kabbalistic letters. In magic, they are expressed as the four classes of spirits. Elves, or salamanders, undines, sylphs, and gnomes. The tarot in its turn is quite analogous to the Kabbalah, alchemy, and magic, and as it were, includes them, corresponding to the four first principles or four letters of the name of God, or the four alchemistic elements, or the four classes of spirits. The tarot has four suits, scepters, cups, swords, and pentacles. Thus, every suit, every side of the square, equal to the point, represents one of the elements, controls one class of spirits. The scepters are fire, or elves, or salamanders. The cups are water, or undines. The swords are air, or sylphs, and pentacles, earth, or gnomes. Moreover, in every suit, the king means the first principle, or fire. The queen, the second principle, or water. 
the knight the third principle, or air, and the page, knave, the fourth principle, or earth. Then again, the ace means fire, the deuce water, the three-spot air, the four-spot earth. Then again, the four-spot is the first principle, the five-spot, the second, etc. In regard to the suits, one may add that the black suits, scepters, and swords express activity and energy, will, initiative, and the subjective side of consciousness. And the red, cups and pentacles, express passivity, inertia, and the objective side of consciousness. Then the first two suits, scepters and cups, signify good, and the other two, swords and pentacles, mean evil. Thus, every card of the 56 indicates, independently of its number, the presence of the principle of activity or passivity, of good or evil, arising either in man's will or from without. And the significance of each card is further deciphered through its various combinations with the suits and numbers in their symbolical meaning. The 56 cards as a whole represent, as it were, a complete picture of all the possibilities of man's consciousness. And this makes the tarot adaptable for fortune-telling. Thus, including the Kabbalah, astrology, alchemy, and magic, the tarot makes it possible to seek gold, to evoke spirits, and to draw horoscopes, simply by means of this pack of cards, without the complicated paraphernalia and ceremonies of an alchemist, astrologer, or magician. But the main interest of tarot is in the 22 numbered cards. These cards have numerical meaning and also a very involved symbolical significance. The literature relating to the tarot has in view mainly the reading of the symbolical designs of the 22 cards. Very many writers on occultism have arranged their works on the plan of the tarot, but this is not often suspected because the tarot is rarely mentioned. Oswald Wirth speaks of origin of the tarot in his essay upon the astronomical tarot. According to Christian, the 22 major arcana of the tarot represent the hieroglyphic paintings which were found in the spaces between the columns of a gallery which the neophyte was obliged to cross in the Egyptian initiations. There were 12 columns to the north and the same number to the south, that is, 11 symbolical pictures on each side. These pictures were explained to the candidate for initiation in regular order, and they contained the rules and principles for the initiate. This opinion is confirmed by the correspondence which exists between arcana when they are thus arranged. In the gallery of the temple, the pictures were arranged in pairs, one opposite another, so that the last picture was opposite the first, the last but one opposite the second, etc. When the cards are so placed, we find a highly interesting and deep suggestion. In this way, the mind finds the one in the two and is led from dualism to monism which is what we might call the unification of the duad. One card explains the other, and each pair shows, moreover, that they can be only mutually explanatory and mean nothing when taken separately. Thus, for instance, the cards 10 and 13, life and death, signify together a certain whole or complementary condition which we cannot conceive by the ordinary, imperfect mental processes. We think of life and death as two opposites, antagonistic one to the other, but if we thought further, we should see that each depends on the other for existence and neither could come into existence separately. A symbol may serve to transfer our intuitions and to suggest new ones, 
only so long as its meaning is not defined. Real symbols are perpetually in process of creation, but when they receive a definite significance, they become hieroglyphs and finally a mere alphabet. As this, they express simply ordinary concepts, cease to be a language of the gods or of initiates and become a language of men which everyone may learn. Properly speaking, a symbol in occultism means the same as in art. If an artist uses ready-made symbols, his work will not be true art, but only pseudo-art. If an occultist begins to use ready-made symbols, his work will not be truly occult, for it will contain no esotericism, no mysticism, but only pseudo-occultism, pseudo-esotericism, pseudo-mysticism. Symbolism, in which the symbols have definite meanings, is pseudo-symbolism. Having made this idea clear in his mind, the author found that the key to the tarot must lie in imagination, and he decided to make an effort to redesign the cards, giving descriptive pictures of the tarot, and to interpret the symbols not by means of analysis, but by synthesis. The reader will find in the following little pen pictures reflections of many authors who wrote on the tarot as St. Martin, Eliphas Levi, Dr. Pappas, etc., and of other authors who certainly never thought of the tarot as, for example, Plotinus, Gitchell, 17th century, Frederick Nietzsche, M. Collins, etc., who came nevertheless to the same fundamental principles as the unknown authors of the tarot. Descriptions of the arcanas in these pen pictures often represent a conception which is almost entirely subjective. For instance, that of card 18. And the author likes to think that another might conceive of the same symbols differently. In any case, he considers this quite possible. Anyone interested in this philosophical puzzle might well ask, what then is the tarot? Is it a doctrine or merely a method? Is it a definite system or merely an alphabet by means of which any system may be constructed? In short, is it a book containing specific teachings? Or is it merely an apparatus, a machine which we may use to build anything, even a new universe? The author believes that the tarot may be used for both purposes, though of course the contents of a book that may be read either forward or backward cannot be said to be, in the ordinary sense, strictly definite. But perhaps we find in this very indefiniteness of the tarot and in the complexity of its philosophy, the element which constitutes its definiteness. The fact that we question the tarot as to whether it be a method or a doctrine shows the limitation of our three-dimensional mind, which is unable to rise above the world of form and contrapositions or to free itself from thesis and antithesis. Yes, the tarot contains and expresses any doctrine to be found in our consciousness, and in this sense it has a definiteness. It represents nature in all the richness of its infinite possibilities. And there is in it, as in nature, not one but all potential meanings. And these meanings are fluent and ever-changing. So the tarot cannot be specifically this or that, for it ever moves and yet is ever the same. In the following pen pictures, cards are taken in pairs. 1 and 0, 2 and 11, 3 and 20, etc. In each pair, one card completing the sense of another and two making one. Card 1, the magician, man, superman, the initiate, the occultist, higher consciousness, human logos, the Kabbalistic Adam Kadmon, humanity, homo sapiens. 
Card 2, The High Priestess, Occultism, Esotericism, Mysticism, Theosophy, Initiation, Isis, Mystery. Card 3, The Empress, Nature in its Phenomenal Aspect, The Ever-Renewing and Recreating Force of Nature, The Objective Reality. Card 4, The Emperor, Tetragrammaton, The Law of Four, Latent Energy of Nature, Logos in the Full Aspect, with all possibilities of the new Logos, Hermetic Philosophy. Card 5, The Chariot, Man, Imagination, Magic, Self-Suggestion, Self-Deceit, Artificial Means of Attainment, Pseudo-Occultism, Pseudo-Theosophy. Card 6, The Lovers. Man, another aspect of the Adam Kadmon, the perfect man, the divine androgyne, love as the efforts of Adam Kadmon to find himself, the equilibrium of contraries, the unification of the duad as the means of attaining the light. Card 7, The Hierophant. Mysticism, Theosophy, Esoteric Side of All Religions. Card 8, Strength. The real power, strength of love, strength of union, magic chain, strength of the infinite, occultism, esotericism, theosophy. Card 9. The Hermit. Man, the path to the initiation, seeking for truth in the right way, inner knowledge, inner light, inner force, theosophy, occultism. Card 10. The Wheel of Chance. The Wheel of Life. The life ever-changing and ever-remaining the same. The circle of time and the four elements. The idea of the circle. Card 11. Justice. Truth. Real knowledge. Inner truth. Occultism. Esotericism. Theosophy. Card 12. The Hanged Man. Man, the pain of the higher consciousness bound by the limitations of the body and mind. Superman and the separate man. Card 13. Death. Another aspect of life. Going away in order to come back at the same time. Completion of the circle. Card 14. Temperance. Time. The first attainment. The arcanum magnum of the occultists. The fourth dimension. Higher space. Eternal now. Card 15. The devil. Man. Weakness. Falsehood. The fall of man into separateness, into hatred, and into finiteness. Card 16. The Tower. Sectarianism. Tower of Babel. Exoterism. Confusion of tongues. Fall of exoterism. The force of nature. Reestablishing the truth distorted by men. Card 17. The Star. The real aspect of the astral world. That which may be seen in ecstasy. The imagination of nature, real knowledge, occultism. Card 18. The moon. The astral world as it is seen by the artificial means of magic. Psychic, spiritistic world. Dreads of the night. The real light from above and the false representation of that light from below. Pseudo-mysticism. Card 19. The sun. The symbol and manifestation of the tetragrammaton. Creative power, fire of life. Card 20, judgment. The resurrection, constant victory of life over death. 
creative activity of nature and the death. Card 21. World. Nature. The world as it is. Nature in its noumenal aspect. Esoteric side of nature. That which is made known in esotericism. Inner reality of things. Human consciousness and the circle of time between the four elements. Card 0. The Fool. Man, an ordinary man, a separate man, the uninitiated lower consciousness, the end of a ray not knowing its relation to the center. The 22 cards may be divided into three divisions, including each seven cards of similar meaning. The 22nd card, number 21, as a duplicate of the number 10, standing outside the triangle or forming a point in its center. The three sets of sevens belong the first one to man, the second to nature, and the third to the higher knowledge, or to the theosophy in the larger sense of the word. The first set of seven, cards one, magician, zero, the fool, five, the chariot, nine, the hermit, six, lovers, fifteen, the devil, and twelve, the hanged man. The contents of these seven cards, if taken in time, picture seven degrees of the path of man and his way to the superman. Or if taken in the eternal, now picture seven faces of man or seven ones of man coexisting in him. This last meaning represents the inner sense of the secret doctrine of the tarot in its relations to man. The second set of seven, nature, includes cards three, the empress, ten, life, thirteen, death, fourteen, time, sixteen, the tower, nineteen, the sun, and twenty judgment. The third set of seven, theosophy, includes cards two, the high priestess, four, the emperor, eight, strength, seven, the hierophant, eleven, justice, seventeen, the star, and eighteen, the moon. Thank you for listening to this sample. To continue listening to this book and for access to all of our other full audiobooks, please subscribe for $7.77 per month. Go to adultbrain.ca or follow the link in the show notes. This will be a completely separate podcast with a new RSS feed and will have all the titles from this feed as well. Thank you for your help and support in bringing rare and forgotten books to audio for the world.